0: Take it to a different level. It's a different level. The thing that makes you guys special is you never quit. We deserve to win again. And there you are. You're running for your life. Oh, not a oh, it's Welcome everybody to a brand new show of Third and Long here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a special edition today of our show as it is Final Four weekend. So this is going to be a big show for Speedy and I going live because we're going to break down every team, every matchup possible. Because last Thursday I thought I was going to be able to do the Sweet 16 weekend and I was not able to do two regions and I was still very upset about that. But we're going to get into it today. We're going to do a lot of college uh, basketball today. Like I said, the Final Four is a big, big weekend this weekend in Minneapolis. Um, As you heard, the opening two-hour show here, the One Shining Moment, which is a fantastic song as I thoroughly got to enjoy it in 2017 when my North Carolina Tar Heels decided to beat the Gonzaga Bulldogs Mm -hmm. in the national championship comeback win for them. But now, ladies and gentlemen, back, they were what, down five. <laughs> but they, they were—it's still a comeback. Story. No, I know. I'm just
1: saying it's not like they were down drastically big.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so we're gonna get—we're gonna break down the final four. We're gonna pick our winners. We're gonna pick most outstanding player, all all that good stuff, and then we're gonna get into baseball. Um, I didn't get to hear I heard Vinny yesterday As we talked about the injuries And the New York Yankees and stuff We're going to talk about that We're going to talk about the garbage from Queens They had a tough opener here on uh, uh, In Queens today Where they lost to the Washington Nationals Four to nothing um, So yeah, we're we're going to do that But Speedy Petey, how are you today? How are things? I wish the final four results Could be better to talk about But I'm
1: excited for the show <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, listen, I think we all do. I think we all wish for stuff like that to uh, be happening. But let's get into it right now. And uh, I want to break down the teams before I break down the matchups and all that stuff. So I I think that's going to be a good place to start. Um, And the first team I want to talk about is the Auburn Tigers. I want to talk about the Auburn Tigers. Tigers and the Auburn Tigers they were a five seed coming out of the Midwest region or the what were they the Midwest yes, region because Gonzaga region. was in the West yeah mm-hmm. so they were in the Midwest region and coming out of the as Speedy says the toughest region I it was yeah the toughest region and the way it looks you, you know what Speedy may be right it does it it is was the toughest region in uh, the NCAA tournament field but you look at this Auburn Tigers team and they went thirty and 11 and seven in the SEC. Um, they beat Me- New Mexico State by one, Survived. so they were they were almost knocked out after the first game. Imagine that. Um, then they go on. New Mexico
1: on. State played the, the closest. I actually had
0: New Mexico State winning that. game. I did
1: too. I remember. Yeah. I remember. I told you I had them in the Sweet Sixteen.
0: <laughs> and then you look at the other. You they had they uh, beat up on the Kansas uh, Jayhawks, and they so
1: far the greatest. Most likable moment
0: for me so far in the tournament. Just
1: Kansas getting smacked around the way they did.
0: Yeah. uh, You you look at it. They smack them around, and then they go in and smack around my Tar Heels, which really upset me as a fan because I couldn't believe—
1: Bad second half for Carolina.
0: Thanks, Speedy. Thanks. I'm finally getting over it. And there you go, rubbing it in my face on what you what what you're saying. You know, I don't have a grudge towards that. Uh, I know. And then they beat Kentucky in over their next opponent. On the other hand, <laughs> where, where they were winning the whole game. You look at Bruce Pearl, 171, 171 in five seasons at Auburn. Um, he's never won a national championship. This is his first Final Four. Uh, Bryce Brown is the leading scorer at 15.8. Shockingly, the leading rebounder is not Cheeky Chuma Okiki. It's Austin Wiley. Uh, Their offensive rank, 8th defensive rank, 35th. This team doesn't have the Final Four experience, let alone the uh, NCAA tournament experience, which I think could come back to haunt them and bite them when it's all said and done. But you look at this team, this team is a top five team shooting the three-point shot. And that is why they are mm-hmm. so good going forward. And this team likes to run. This team is like a mini version of North Carolina. They like to run, 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 run. Bruce Pearl's taken a taken a note out of Roy Williams' book that all he wants to do is run. He's a firm believer in owning the tempo with pace. Right. And particularly with uh, Jared Harper, who is at the controls. He's at the helm. He's the point guard. He's the leading assist leader at 5.9 assists per game. Um, but his size is underwhelming, but he plays with no fear, understands exactly how to get downhill. He, he runs with the best of them. He's so fast. Uh, his speed, Jared Harper's speed, opens things up for Bryce Brown and stuff and his jump shooting. Who, let's be real here, Bryce Brown is probably the reason why they beat Kentucky because his flurries, flurry of three point right. shooting against mm-hmm. them in the Elite Eight beat them and i'm sorry four
1: points yeah
0: auburn ranks sixth in the country in adjusting adjusted offensive efficiency okay what really is going to hurt them i think regardless because they are playing a virginia team who likes to slow things down
1: and is a top-notch perimeter defense yes
0: is not going to have chuma okiki who is out for a torn acl uh he was shooting 38.7 percent on his threes um he was able to match up athletically against the Wildcats' physical front line of P.J. Washington and Reed Travis. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is going to be a, a uphill battle for the Auburn Tigers because this is two contrast styles, but this is a style that, as we've seen before, beats Virginia, a team that likes to get up and down and shoots the three very, very well and consistently could beat Speedy Petey's favorite team, the Virginia
1: oh, Cavaliers. God. Um, One thing I think that will give him a chance, though, is the way the guards played against Kentucky. Because you saw Kentucky all tournament taking out top-notch guards all tournament long, and those guys still played well amidst all that. Now, Virginia is a different structured team than Kentucky, but that'll at least give him some chances as long as they don't have, see, play the exact same style. Because you know Virginia will prepare for it.
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and you know Tony Bennett will get his team ready to go for that, and and that's a hundred percent fact, right then and there. But defensively however is where the ti- where the auburn tigers have made the most uh Improvement. S- yeah significant strides in the tournament and actually really since the sec tournament they've been playing really 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 good right. defense mm-hmm. to hold a team like kentucky to just 71 points in an overtime game and 24% from 3 is is unbelievable and they ha- they had forced 14 turnovers against them um, The help defense has been great, uh, but more important, it's been uh, Auburn's individual defense. The one-on-one defense right. is open, and it's...
1: Definitely, well, college back really can make a difference. Virginia, who was the, I think, the second or third overall once teams. Which is and, shocking to me. And this kind of run, a lot of times, does end in the finals. They now playing for Okiki, and Bruce Pearl obviously is. They're playing for him, so they definitely have that emotional ride. Virginia is playing on their own emotional ride. Auburn running across the floor versus the Virginia defense, which has been a
0: perennial top-notch unit. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at this team. But let me ask you, Speedy. You 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 just broke it down a little bit this Auburn Tiger team and how you feel and what you think about them and I know you're praying back and forth that they do end up beating your favorite team the Virginia Cavaliers okay but now if if you're Tony Bennett how do you beat the Auburn Tigers? Well, you might have to take something out of their. You must limit Auburn's possessions, really, because its offense. Predicates its t- its tone on the defensive side of the ball. Right. I think
1: you're going to see something out of their own playbook too, which is something that they've done all tournament, which they are going to take somebody out. Whether it's the best player or not, they are going to try to take somebody out. We saw that against Oregon in the second half when they were really doing a good job taking out Peyton Pritchard. We saw that. Obviously against uh, Purdue, while they Carson Edwards went off, they were kind of taking out Ryan Klein. They were kind of taking out Harms inside. They were really doing different things. So whether it's Brown, whether it's Harper, they have to be prepared for these double teams. They have to be prepared for the physical defense because Virginia doesn't foul a lot. They are very good fundamentally sound defense, and now you're seeing more this year than ever before. They're turning it into a lot of transition points, and. Auburn has to be aware of that. So they have to move the ball. They can't have the same game plan every time like they did against Kentucky. Now, Kentucky was, again, a good guard defense. Like I said, they were taking out a lot of top guards throughout this tournament and a lot of teams' best players, but they can't play the exact same style because it's not the same team. Well, no, but but and like I said. I think I said, Virginia is going to try to do that, taking out certain guys and playing different matchup zones like they were doing. Well, first of Per-Bale. all, they'll
0: never play zone. They won't play zone against this Auburn Tiger team because the Auburn Tigers will just rip them apart from the three-point line. They will not sit in a zone whatsoever right, against this I, Auburn Tiger team. I think early on what you're going to see different mismatch. What they're so. going to do is they're going to try and take the ball out of Jared Harper's hands, and that's what they need to do. They need to force the ball out of the point guard's hands. He he is the general. He leads this team. Jared Harper is the guy. Regardless of his size and whatnot, he's the guy, and they need to take the ball out of his hands. His creativity in pick and rolls um, – Often bails out the lack of offensive weapons and look and opens open looks for Bryce Brown. To be honest with you, um, Auburn is fourth in nationally in scoring and ranks in the top twenty-five and three uh, three-point percentage. Um, Harper and ball screens. Yeah, the uh, the Virginia Cavaliers need to make someone else beat them. They can't have Harper beat them. They can't have Bryce Brown beat them. They need somebody else on that Auburn Tigers team to beat them. Uh and I don't and I think it's going to be an uphill task if you want me to be honest with you. I think it's not going to be an easy task for uh the Virginia Cavaliers to really really beat uh the Auburn Tigers. That's- well,
1: yeah, it's going to be hard because again, I think both of these guys have done well in terms of like just being a dual unit as a, as a backcourt. And that's what's going to make it difficult. That's why I think you're going to see them try to switch off a lot and maybe double-team Brown in some instances and double-team Harper in others. And they're going to have to be a lot more aggressive than they have been in the past. They showed a little bit of that aggression against Oregon, especially in the second half, and you sh- they showed a little bit in the beginning of the game against Purdue that they were going to press more, they were going to play tighter, like in the before they got to the perimeter, which I think you're going to see. The question is, Auburn running the way they do and being a fast-paced offense. They seem like they have the offense to adjust to that, just the way they move the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how that matchup plays into account. But I expect Virginia, as a defensive unit, to use double teams and switch off whoever they do. I don't think they're just an exclusively double team one guy.
0: I I think the only switching that they're going to do is going to be on on, uh, Jared Harper. Because they're going to want to take the ball out of his hands. So I think they're going to hedge every screen on the pick and roll, and they're going eventually going to switch. And it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Bennett go small here, run uh, run possibly DeAndre Hunter and at the four, and Jakate will play the five instead of Salt at the five, Jakate at right. the four, mm-hmm. and stuff. It wouldn't surprise me to give them more athleticism and quickness on the perimeter to stop these guys like the Auburn Tigers from shooting the three. Again, it's really going to come down to Jared Harper. If Jared Harper controls the tempo of this game and controls the game over Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, Auburn Tigers are going to win this game, and they're going to win it big time, too. I think they'd win big. if he, If he controls it, they are going to win big, and that, and that's just my opinion. But, again, they have to play the game. They have to knock down the shots. But Jared Harper is playing as well as any point guard in the country right now, hence why he's right there in the Final Four of uh, the National uh, College Basketball. So, Speedy, now guess what? Oh, okay. We get to talk about your favorite team of all time, the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, thirty-three and three, 16 and two in the ACC. Um, they played Gardner Webb, won 71-56, and that this is a team oh. that was losing to Gardner Webb. Oh, by it was eight so or, much fun when they were losing at half. Eight, eight. T- what are they losing by? Eight or nine at half to Gardner Webb. They were losing by six at halftime, oh, and they six. were losing
1: by twelve at points in the first half.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, no, they were down by eighteen in the first half to Gardner Webb at one point. Uh, they beat Oklahoma in the in the round of thirty-two by twelve. Um, then they beat Oregon by five, uh, oh, by four. That, that by might four. have menored it
1: too, because they were doing well, and then they started taking stupid shots too. <laughs> oh,
0: um, and and then you look at the Purdue. You're you're very was very upset on Monday about this game when a little tip
1: ins and tip outs. Purdue oh,
0: lost that game in overtime, eighty to seventy five. You look at Tony Bennett. He's two fifty two and eighty nine in ten seasons at Virginia. Um, he's never made a final four. His leading uh, leading scorer is Kyle Guy of 15 a game. Uh, leading rebounder is Braxton Key. Assist Ty Jerome. Um, you want to know how they beat you? I'm going to tell you. out of its rhythm, do its do play basketball calling card. It's a, it's it's on the defensive end of the foot. is not going to be beneficial for them because they Auburn's a perimeter laden. This to take contest, contested three pointers. What the hell? I can't even speak today, Speedy. You know this. There's nothing I like about Virginia. There's nothing. Good, you agree with me. You look at this Virginia team; they're slightly different. This Cavaliers team, they can actually score. They actually rank higher in offensive efficiency than defensive efficiency, which is shocking. Um, Ty Jerome is one of the most confident guards in the country. He's playing, like I said, he's playing better than a lot of the point guards in this country right now in the in the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, he's capable of creating for himself and getting shots for himself or others. Kyle Guy runs relentlessly off pin downs and back screens, looking to get open for for jump shots. Which he's a great jump shooter. He could shoot the ball. He's six foot four, six foot five. He's a good jump shooter. But the key to the Virginia Wild ca- uh, Cavaliers on both sides of the ball, DeAndre Hunter, he's a future top ten pick. Uh, he brings a dimension on the offensive end of the floor that. Virginia hasn't had really ever under Tony Bennett. Even when Tony Bennett was at Washington State, never had somebody as good as DeAndre Hunter. They wear teams down with their style. They take care of the ball. They make shots, and they force teams to make tough jumpers. It's really, really tough to beat this Virginia Cavaliers team. What do you think, Speedy?
1: Yeah, the offense, I thought, that went up in the beginning of the season. You just didn't expect the style to carry over, but I've been impressed in certain instances with them. I think they're a little more of a transition defense to offense team more than you've seen in the past. Yeah, they're slow when they're in a half-court game, and I think they will continue to be that way, especially in this kind of instance against Auburn. But at least they are hitting shots now. They are doing better moving the ball. And you're looking at the assist totals. Ty Jerome had seven in that uh, in, in that last game against Purdue. Uh, Key Clark had five assists in that game, including that that pass to uh, to tie the game late in the uh, in regulation.
0: Gary Sanchez just hit another home run. Loving it.
1: Yep. So you're dealing with a case where I think they're moving the ball a little better, and that can help against an Auburn team that, while they are improved defensively as well as Virginia is improved offensively, that if they get caught running and maybe don't get back in time they could catch him off guard like they did with Purdue in those instances with the with the rebounds like I was saying they can catch teams off guard i think this team has a very good sense of awareness right now and they're a lot smarter than i've seen them in the past offensively so that can help them definitely go through in this game and it seems like they don't have they're not leaning on one guy to to be the offensive hero either which is good
0: yeah i mean the, this this virginia team they they are a beatable team but it's extremely tough. And you want to know how you beat them? Look at look at what Carson Edwards did to them over uh last week. And I know it upsets you and I understand. He was the most
1: unguardable player I've ever seen in
0: <laughs> but this tournament so You far. look at it, he had a superhuman effort right, from man. Edwards and even that didn't work from one person. Virginia is very difficult to beat. The Cavaliers have lost only 6 times in the past 2 seasons, which is remarkable. Um including twice this season to Duke and, of course, UMBC in last season's tournament. Hey. <laughs> um, the offense, though, improved from the past seasons, can still struggle if Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome are not making shots. Um, after a stretch in February and March, in which Virginia shot 40% or better from three in five straight games, they shot 33.3% or worse in their past five games. And that could be a downfall leading up into this Final Four matchup. Uh, Kyle Guy's second half perimeter resurgence Saturday is the primary reason. Virginia's knocking down playing right now. Time session last uh, weekend. Now, they hit three-pointers. He beat by the main thing they said. Pointers with the, be- with the best of them. Speedy, who wins this game? Come to an end at some point. I've always said Auburn was too hot. I, I, that's the
1: only reason I'm not picking them here. I want them to win so badly because I hate Virginia. But... I think they're too hot at this because they hit almost everyone. Obviously, the one they needed to miss was the one they did miss and were able to tie the game against Purdue. I feel like Auburn matches up better. I just feel like both teams' emotional rushes, Virginia on the redemption tour, Auburn on the let's do this for, for Okiki tour, I think it'll end here for a team that's too hot. I really want Auburn to win, but I don't think they do.
0: Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well... I'm taking the Auburn Tigers in this one. because I really hope you're right. (laughs) uh, Because like I said, and and like I've been reading and stuff, one way to beat the Virginia Cavaliers is shooting a three-point shot very, very well. And that is something the Auburn Tigers do with the best of them or better than a lot of them. Uh, They shoot the three-point shot very well. We saw against Carolina they knocked down 17 three-pointers. They did it again against Kentucky where they knocked down about 9 or 10. So if the Auburn Tigers hit 10 or more three point shots against the Virginia Cavaliers. The uh Auburn Tigers are going to win this game and I think they'd win it pretty handily if they hit more than more than 10. I hope you're right.
1: They're just very they have to be very conscious Give me about... a score speedy before we go to break and break down okay. the other bracket. Uh 70. No, not you th- 70. I was going to say you think Virginia scored 70 points? Uh well they did against Purdue, so I guess it's possible, but no, I'll say high 60s. I'll say
0: 68-64 Virginia. 68-64 Virginia. I'm going to say 71-62 Auburn Tigers, and that's because they're going to hit about 14 three-point shots, and that's the only way they're going to beat the Virginia Cavaliers this week by the, hitting the three-point shots. I
1: still think Virginia will be conscious to an extent of that, though, after what Carson Edwards did to them.
0: <laughs> you Listen, you, you you may be right.
1: You hundred percent may be right. But and they again, ruined what would have been one of the greatest go ahead yeah, shots. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you look at it
0: but you look at that Purdue team, you brought that up. Carson Edwards was one guy. Auburn Tigers has three or four guys that could shoot the three point shot very well and consistently. There's a reason why, Speedy, this Auburn Tigers team was fifth in the country in three point shooting. So it's more than one guy for this team. So it's going to be interesting to see how Tony Bennett handles this team and this Final Four. I'm intrigued, though. Both coaches have never been to the Final Four, so it's going to be right. It's going to be. I a think the match
1: experience up. factor will cancel out. If
0: Auburn wasn't, absolutely cancel out. Absolutely. If they were,
1: if they were weren't so hot like they were, I probably would pick them. But I feel like that kind of run usually ends in this tournament. We've seen exceptions, obviously. 2014, the wacky seven-eight final with UConn and Kentucky. We saw Butler beat Michigan State when. They They did in uh, 2010 before they lost the Duke. So it has
0: happened on occasion, but usually it doesn't. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we just broke down the first game of the final four this Saturday. And then when we come back from break, we're going to break down the other final four. We're going to get other game in the final four, which is the Texas Tech Raiders and the Michigan State Spartans. We're going to get into that when we come back. Worldwide Sports. Radio Network.
2: It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 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 You you are listening to the Third and Long Show. And here's your host, Maddie
0: Cavs. 631-676-2968 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now we just broke down the Virginia Cavaliers versus the Auburn Tigers, and now we're going to get into a little bit of the Michigan State, Texas Tech Raiders, and I look at this matchup, and this is a these two teams are very very intriguing, and I want to talk about the Michigan State Spartans first because you look at what they did in their in their uh, uh, region, they had to go through Bradley in the first game, Minnesota in the second game, LSU in the Sweet Sixteen, and then they beat Duke by one. Um, you 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 look at this team, you look at this Michigan Steams right now. For some reason, is Tom Izzo deserves to get national standing with this team? Score Kenny Gore quite a few times being at the helm. Um, those two four points Tillman, uh, Nick Ward. Okay, the best point guard in the country with the way he is uh, playing the game. He's scoring on either side of the arc. He's drawing fouls. And delivering on top top three draft picks per se with Reddish, uh, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williams. I watched that game from beginning to end. And if you want me to be honest with you, this Michigan State team, they should have won the game by 10 or more points if you want me to be honest with you. I counted in the second half alone six missed layups. Like wide open, tip-ins, missed layups, Zion Williamson not even near, and they were missing layups at the rim. That's 10 points right then and there alone.
1: If only Virginia missed that many.
0: Yeah, well, Virginia, they don't know how to do that. They're not Michigan State. Well, no,
1: but they did that, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: Oh, absolutely. They definitely did that, unfortunately, and it did not help whatsoever. But you look at this team. You look at this Michigan State team. They are a scary, scary team going forward. Um Again, Cassius Winston is the main guy. He has no preferred speed and can lull you to sleep on the dribble and then blow by you quicker than anybody. But you, as the season progressed and more and more of Winston's uh, assists have been to going to Xavier Tillman, who has really asserted himself in this Michigan State team. Really, ever since Nick Ward went down, right, he's had to. And, and, and he came in. Um, he's an underrated sophomore. And he was—he's seen delivering powerful, thunderous, and pivotal dunks um, throughout the entire tournament. Uh, on the other end of the floor, Michigan State has been elite all season at forcing misses in the paint. Not many teams can throw defenses at you that can throw Tillman, Nick Ward, and Goins at you, and almost always have two of those guys on the floor. Speedy, what do you think about this Michigan State team? I want to know what you think about how they beat you. I, and then we're going to talk about how you can beat them. But this Michigan State team, Tom Izzo hasn't played the best basketball right. they've played mm-hmm. in a very long time. Right. And I said I said that when we were picking our
1: brackets initially, Tom, uh, Tom Izzo, this has been the best coaching job he's had in a long time. Maybe since that championship team, what he's had to go through when... Langford was hurt all season he was hurt right I think in December so they had to adjust right away to that obviously when Ward was out Ward was that next guy up and when he got hurt they had to put these guys in that role and him staying top 10 in the nation throughout that time like he did was very impressive obviously they warranted this kind of two seed they won the Big Ten tournament and it's showing right now the job he has done dominating Inside like they have the offensive rebounding. I think is something that has been big. Like I said, it was huge against LSU It was huge against Duke for much of that uh, second half and they could beat you in so many different ways The one thing I I worry about with Michigan State is the fact that they haven't gotten to the line a lot I wish they did that a little more and in order to get Texas Tech who's a, a good defense but also a very aggressive defense that that is something that they could do to improve their game as a whole so They do everything else very well to this point. They're definitely the most well-rounded team left in the tournament, and that's what I think is going to help them as a whole, and they have the experience and they have the coaching too, and you'll see if they can adjust that one little thing, which I think if they can get to the line a lot more, they can do even better.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're going to need to do better, especially against a team like Texas Tech, who we're going to talk about in just a few minutes that might be one of the best defensive teams They might be better than Virginia on the defensive side of the ball. In some areas,
1: I think they are. But
0: you you look at this Michigan State team, everything goes through Cassius Winston. Wherever he goes, the Michigan State Spartans go. Now, you want to know how you can beat this Michigan State Spartan team? How you beat them? (laughs) You attack the offensive glass. Um, Tom Izzo is synonymous with uh, rebounding, but for whatever whatever reason, um, this group that he has right now, has been known to struggle on its defensive boards, which we saw against Duke. They really did struggle on the defensive uh, defensive rebounding, for sure. Sometimes one of the best offensive one of the best offenses against MS against a uh, Michigan State defense is a miss shot. LSU and Duke were able to pull down a combined thirty seven percent of their chances on the even better than that. And, before and, that. and LSU is, was the number one rebounding team in the entire country, and in denying uh, Winston the Bulls. Absolutely lethal at it. Um, to beat the Michigan State Spartans. Well, acting enough. And
1: hence, they didn't have a lot of free throw. Where I think they're a little better than Virginia is. I think they're more physical than Virginia. Outside. And if the, if Texas Tech is disciplined and does big guys, Odiasse had foul trouble against Gonzaga, which, again, hurt them at times. But when he came back into the... We're not talking about Texas Tech. So
0: stop bringing them up. We're talking about how you... is
1: the discipline that they're going to need. And Michigan State can beat you in a lot of different ways. So if you stay to maybe lead to transition offense, because Michigan State's a good defense too,
0: they could definitely win this game. Honest with you, I think it's mm-hmm. going to be exciting for both of them. Um, now we're going to talk Michigan, and then they beat Gonzaga. Chris Beard, seventy-five and thirty, in three seasons at Texas Tech, which is pretty remarkable. Their um, end assist leader. Um, you look at their offensive rankings: thirty-third, first, final four. With the most effective defense, the Red Raiders' secret is in their personnel. Uh, Tariq Owens, um, Matt Mooney, the point guard, controls the game. He's six three. Culver six six. Moretti six two, and Norenza Odiasse is six foot eight. But they bring in to uh, to avoid defensive mismatches and support one another when they get beat off the dribble. You look at Chris Beard. You have to. T- this is another guy that could easily win. National Coach of the Year. Players drive; they have to get through two or three Red Raiders because they play help the They're help very defense yeah. mm-hmm. very, very well. Um, when those attempts fail, uh, they settle for perimeter shots. Here's the problem: Texas Tech often recovers to contest those shots. You saw Tariq Owens block Hachimura uh, against Gonzaga late uh, late in Saturday's win. Michigan. When they played them, they settled for deep three-pointers. They shot one for 19 in its loss at the Do. They know who the shooters were and the drivers were. And you got to tip your cap to this Texas Tech team. Um, On offense, the Red Raiders, they play through Jarrett Culver. Everything goes through Jarrett Culver. He's a projected NBA first-round pick. I think he's a lottery pick. Um, He demands extra defenders and opens the floor for his teammates every which way. They'll go ISO and attack the mismatch. I'm intrigued to see who, how Michigan State is going to stop Jared Culver or who they're going to put on Jared Culver because mm-hmm. Jared Culver is only about 6'6, six, 6'7, six, six, and he's faster than any of those big guys, those who would try to cover him. He's better than Matt McQuaid or Aaron. I, I think Aaron Henry is going to get to start on Jared Culver. I don't know how that's going to work out for him. Yeah, that'll be tough. Um, Matt Mooney uh, against Gonzaga realized that. He could post up Josh Perkins. Mooney again, six foot three. If Cassius Winston is going to cover Mooney, Mooney might try and post up Cassius Winston as we see, you, you want to see the proof, it's there because Culver only shot five for nineteen against Gonzaga and they won. If you were to tell me that free
1: throws uh, was good though. But, but seven for eight. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you were to tell me that Jared Culver would shoot five for nineteen against Gonzaga team and what they can do on the offensive and defensive side of the ball and what they need to do. Against Michigan State defense, they like I said, they have to not foul.
1: If they don't foul, they're going to be able to do very well. I think there were times they got into foul trouble against Gonzaga, and if they don't do that against Michigan State, who's another good free throw shooting team, they could definitely take over this game. This defense is aggressive, and they're very good in transition blocks. You know, uh, Owens against Gonzaga who had three blocks; they had seven blocks as an entire team, and I think they end up making a difference. Odiasse and Owens have to make sure they stay out of foul trouble, and I do agree with you. When it comes to a size advantage on the perimeter, they have it. At, uh, they have it against Michigan State, especially in a half-court game. So I think that'll end up making a difference. Michigan State, I, like I said, is probably going to attack inside, so they just got to be ready for that. And can the bench guys come through? Because Michigan State has the depth. We've mentioned all the different guys that have come through for Michigan State during the injuries. Can you would think Michigan State on paper is the advantage, but if they if they have their guys come through like they did against Gonzaga, that'll make a difference too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you brought up some really good points, and I, I'm not going to take anything away, like the Tariq Owens with the blocking and the athleticism, but. The depth is what is really not their forte. I mean, they I guess it is their forte because they can throw two, three or four guys at, at you. Chris Beard does like to use his athleticism and size on every which way. But now you look at it, Speedy, how do you beat this Texas Tech Raider? And you want to know what? I'm going to tell you how before you get into it. Okay. Everything starts with Jared Culver. In the Red Raiders' losses, he teams have been able to frustrate him um, against Gonzaga on Saturday. He had a hard time finding good looks with Hachiamora and others defending him. But once he gets going, however, Texas Tech is difficult to stop. In all, Culver committed 30 turnovers in Texas Tech's losses. So if you get Jared Culver to turn over the ball, you're in pretty good shape if you want me to be honest with you. With uh, Culver struggling, Texas Tech made fewer than 45 point guard who can both facilitate the action on offense and get defensive stops. This team... That beat Texas Tech this season had a list of quality point guards. You look at Trey Jones, uh, Nick Watt really controlled the tempo against this Texas Tech Red Raiders. Opponents also have to take advantage of opportunities that they will consistently efficient offensive effort. And, a and I do want to see Texas Tech win this game. I really, really want to see them in the national championship because if you want me to be honest with you, I think Texas Tech has it all to win the whole thing uh, this, uh, this season. I just think Michigan State is on a absolute tear right now with how they're playing and Tom Izzo has this team playing better than anybody right now. So I am gonna take Michigan State to win this game and get to the national championship. But Speedy, talk to me. How do you think it is how do you think it's going to be to beat this Texas Tech Red Raider team?
1: Use their aggression against them if you have Guys that could drive to the hoop, I would enforce that game plan right away. We mentioned Michigan State, the size that they have, the forward play that they have. When I have to play more cautious on defense to make sure these guys don't foul out. And again, like you were saying, double team, put different looks on Jared Culver. Easier said than done, yeah. But you do have to rattle him. If you rattle him enough, it'll it'll throw off the entire thing with the offensive game plan for texas tech because you said it perfectly he's the most well-rounded player on that team by far he He might
0: be the most well-rounded player in the final four right you
1: yeah you could absolutely think of him that way if you can rattle him enough i think that'll end up putting some mistakes into that texas tech offense which has improved throughout this tournament has improved in the second half of the season but it's still not the strength of the team. The strength of the team is still the defense. So if they can rattle Culver and if they can get Texas Tech into foul trouble, use their aggression against them, and also they're going to probably have to break the press because expect Texas Tech to press a lot too. If they could do that, it's a lot of things they could do to win this game. And Michigan State has the the size to do that inside, and they do have the free-throw shooting ability to win that way. And if if they have that kind of game plan, I think they could do very well. And obviously you have to take out Culver as well as much as you can. Obviously you can't stop him. He's very good. He's going to get his, but if you can contain him enough to stop that flow of that team offense, it's going to be very hard for Texas Tech to win that game.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's going to be very interesting. I think this is this is going to be, like I said, I think both of these games are going to be great. This is going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a chess match definitely between Tom Izzo and Chris Beard going forward. So, Speedy, who do you have winning and why? Uh, I'm going to take Michigan State in this game to oh, win. Oh, you match me. Yes, I do. I do agree
1: with you here. I still think they're a little more well-rounded at this point. Obviously, losing Langford for the whole season is the way Nick Ward will be used because, remember, he was used off the bench a lot, so much with it, where I think it'll throw off... Not completely, but throw off guys outside. This so just da- in. I'm going to take Michigan State. Chris Beard has been named AP Coach of the Year. Oh. These, these two teams can go into the 70s. I'll take Michigan State, 71.
0: State is scoring 59 points. I think Jared Culver is going to struggle a little bit like he did against Gonzaga, and I don't trust his other guys. And, uh, do come back for come back from break. Speedy and I are going to talk a little baseball right now. We're going to talk garbage from Queens and their hot start and them losing today on their home opener against the Washington Nationals. It is it, the
2: World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. You, you are listening to the Third and Long Show, and here's your host, Matty Cab.
0: 631-676-2968 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are live in Bohemia on Long Island. Uh, a lot of people like to mess that up, so I like to just let them know how it is. But now we're going to get into some new – actually, I'm not even going to say it – garbage from Queens talk. Um, and what I before I get into the Yankees, and actually, you know what? Screw it. We're going to talk about the New York Yankees first, okay? Um, I have a lot to say about the New York Yankees, and um, uh, it's upsetting and depressing to me. You look at this New York Yankee ball club right now, and they're they're struggling. Okay, there's no if ends or buts about it. And Speedy, I'm sure you can agree with me that they're struggling right now. And the New York Yankees, they have 11 injuries, all two key players, okay? You look at Didi, Patances, CeCe, Severino, uh, now Tulewitzki, uh, Miguel Andahar. You look at this team, it is a very, very, very tough and long season going forward. It's grueling going forward. But I'm going to tell you this right now, as a Yankee fan, I'm a little nervous. I am. Oh, and, and, right. and, and And listen... People could say whatever they want. It's just an opinion, but I don't care that they're seven games in. You look at the eye test, they're struggling to beat the Baltimore Orioles. They're struggling to beat the Detroit Tigers. Both teams weren't picked to win more than 70 freaking games this season. You're gonna sit back in there. You're gonna sit back and tell me that when you lose four or six games out on at your homestand to the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers, you lost two or three to both of them, okay? That's not a cause for concern. You look at what happened to the Yankees last year. You want to know why the Yankees didn't win the division and whatnot? Because they couldn't, be, they couldn't beat teams they were supposed to beat, like the Baltimore Orioles last year. Um, this New York Yankees team is in a little bit of trouble. Uh, but, again, it, it, it's crazy to even think that, uh, it, it's crazy to even think that we're even talking about this seven games in right now, but it looks like we have our first caller of the day. We got a new caller. This is, uh, Frank from Connecticut. Oh, Frank, what's up, buddy?
2: What's going on? How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Not bad. How you doing, Speedy?
0: Doing all right. Yeah, Frank, this is my buddy, Frank. He's from, uh. He's from uh, Connecticut. I play softball with him, oh, okay. so he, he listens to the show. What's right. going on, pal?
2: Ah, not much. Listen, I think you're pushing the panic button a little too soon. Explain. Seven what? games in. They're, I, they're, I, listen, I understand this, seven right games now. in.
0: I understand it. They're,
2: they're winning right now. They're up 5-4. Thanks to Glaver Torres. He's, listen, he's having a great day. He's three, what, three for three with four ribbies. This is a guy that I
0: think should be batting leadoff over Brett Gardner.
2: 100%. And Boyd, I don't know what he's doing in the three-hole
0: today. He has no business being in the lineup. I uh, Well, it's... What do you I mean no business no in around. a lineup? You, you and I should be in the lineup right now over yeah. Toshman and <laughs> and some of these guys. Like Voit needs to be in a lineup right now even though he's struggling. You want to know who I think still doesn't belong in this lineup? I hate Greg Bird more than anything. I want him on the first plane to North Korea and not come back. I hate <laughs> Greg Bird. I hate Aaron Boone more than anything in this world. Aaron Boone, he could go there with them. Let them go listen, to the gulags with uh, Kim Jong-un over there in North Korea. I hate but, those two.
2: But listen, Boone is just the scapegoat. He's just the face of the organization. Do you really think he's making the decisions of who he's playing every game?
0: Um, to a point, yes. Because nowadays, to in to a point. To a point, absolutely, because I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think Cashman has a clue on who to play. I just think he's a behind-the-scenes guy. And, of course, he's the general manager, and I understand that. But and he's I, a good GM. Yeah, run, so. I, I don't think he knows how to ag- exactly run a team or tell the manager on who to play and not to play. Um,
2: yes, yeah, so, but listen, coach, be, coaching in baseball is completely different than any other sport, right? Coach, right? The coach starts at the beginning of the game, with the lineup, right? And that's mostly Cashman has a lot of influence on it. We we all know that. And with a lot of sports, the GM ownership ha- like the front office, they have a lot to say. And Boone is is gonna be the scapegoat for that. Listen, he doesn't make it decision until the sixth, seventh inning. I hate him. Yeah, listen, I I get it, but you hate him because of A, the position he's in about having eleven players on the D L. Do you think listen, do you think Stanton is hurt? Um, I personally, I personally don't buy
0: it. I, I, I he don't he does think, have an injury history, though. Keep but that in mind. I don't think he's as hurt as what they're making it out to seem like. I mean, a bicep, maybe he just has like a cramp or something that's going to keep him out for a few right. days. But they have to keep him on the ten day IL now or DL, whatever, whatever it is. Oh, they, yeah, you, it, you it, it's you can't, you can't.
2: You can't say DL
0: anymore. I know because because, oh, because me, cause people get offended, like little oh, girls. I hate that. But uh, yeah, listen, I don't think Stanton's as hurt or whatever. But the other guys. Is what I'm worried about. And one thing I've always worried about with the, with the New York Yankees before the season even started was the starting pitching. And now that you don't have CeCe Sabathia and you don't have Luis Severino, not knowing when those two guys are going to come back, even though CeCe Sabathia is apparently coming back next week, CeCe Sabathia is still going to need to go to AAA for a two-game rehab start, at least two games down at AAA. So you're not going to see CeCe Sabathia probably till the second week of May, if you want me to be honest with you, if he comes back next week. Luis Severino, you don't even know when he's coming back because let's be real here. A shoulder injury? You don't know the extent of it or how these players feel. Shoulder injuries are very serious. I have a shoulder injury now. I don't wish this upon my worst enemy, okay? Like, we don't know when they're coming back. But Tances don't know when he when he's coming back. And he's a big key component in the bullpen going forward. I mean, you look at James Paxton now. Everybody and their mother in New in New York, especially here on Long Island, loved the James Paxton move. I may have been the only scapegoat that was a little iffy about it because, I, I mean, his numbers are, are pretty good. He did play in Seattle, and I understand he didn't get a lot of wins, and that, that comes with the territory of playing in Seattle. But you look right now, he struggled in his second start again. You know, like, it, it's tough to come to one of the best organizations in in sport history, in the New York Yankees, it's tough to put on pinstripes. You know what I'm saying? It is,
2: and, and that's and that's the problem with Stan. Stan's having the problem with the pinstripes.
0: Oh, absolutely! You look at Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray struggled pitching style. Sonny
2: Gray struggled, but Stan, Stan's the uh, you know he used to be the big fish in the small pond.
0: I think Stanton is going to have an unbelievable season this season. I think I think he's too good of a hitter to not have an unbelievable not, season. I still think no, the
1: problem though with the the Sonny Gray versus James Paxton argument is I think Sonny Gray's pitching style just didn't fit Yankee Stadium I think Paxton still will right.
2: I think listen I don't I think Stanton's gonna have an issue and you, you know it's usually the other way around usually the hitters flourish when they go from NL to AL or AL of course <laughs> yes leave
1: Marlins right. Park become a better player <laughs> it's not hard <laughs> Right,
2: but you know what the and I, honestly, I think he's going to crumble. I think he goes nowhere. I think he just gets bit by the injury bug, and he just plays it out, and and that's
0: it. Well, I he's been that way that his whole career. He's a
2: great player. I, don't.
0: <sighs> I I don't know. I I I I think he's got. I I think he's due for a very very good season this season. I think he's going to justify his price tag. I think he's uh, too good of a hitter not to. But again, it is tough to play in pinstripes. But back to the Aaron Boone thing. And you're saying it's because of the position he's in. One, you're correct a little bit with that, talking about the position he's in. But let me just tell you, I hated the Aaron Boone managing Uh, right off the bat with no experience whatsoever. I hated them hiring Aaron Boone. I was not a fan of that. I wanted them to keep Joe Girardi one more because I think if Joe Girardi was the manager last season, I think they would have won the World Series or gone a little bit farther because of some of the moves and some of the things that Aaron Boone has done. Let me just tell you this real quick. Aaron Boone is not ready to manage a team like the New York Yankees. Okay? I don't like his stupid moves that he does. And he may be a puppet maybe for behind the scenes, like you say, maybe a little bit, maybe you're right. But now, in this day and age in baseball, everything is all analytics and all metrics and all that stupid yep. uh, uh, defensive uh, efficiency and offensive efficiency. All stupid numbers that don't even matter. The first six innings of the game, you don't really need to manage. It's when you have to manage exactly. six That's through nine. Exactly right. And, and he ma- he has made some bad, bad moves six through nine yeah. when you actually have to manage the game. Because I could go manage the New York Yankees right now, uh, innings one through six. But when you get to six through nine, that's when it becomes critical and you really have to start thinking and thinking about matchups, especially in close games. Well, the, I think the
1: other problem, too, is he, he has been so stuck on the traditional analytic numbers that sometimes you have to look at other things too in different situations because there are situational right. analytics that come into play too. Closing, non-closing, different different relief roles. There's other situations that fall into that, and I don't think Aaron Boone knows the difference with those kinds of things. It was the problem last year when he was closing but for a while. Those numbers have shifted from when he's, Close versus when he's been a setup guy in the seventh inning or the eighth inning, and he has to know that with all his pitchers. Obviously, Aroldis Chapman's a traditional closer, so there's really right. no difference with him. I don't think he's ever really misused Aroldis Chapman uh, in a non-closing situation or trying to go three innings when he shouldn't. I just think he's done that with certain other pitchers. I think he's done well so far with Adovino. I think Adovino's been used right as a whole for the most part, but I think the, some of the other pitchers, even last year, he just has to know the situational stats in terms of each inning and each situation. Whether you're good with inherited runners, whether you're good in a closing situation. So you think, and I think that's where I think he's, he's struggled the most.
0: So, Frank, you, you think I'm, I'm overreacting a little bit then?
2: I, I think seven games in, I think you're pushing the panic button a little too early. At least 11, 11 guys on the uh, you know, injury
0: list. Yeah, but keep right. in mind, oh. Didi's not coming back till after the All-Star break, and yep. Miguel Andahar might be out for the season. That's the left side of your infield, to be honest with you, right then and there, okay? Right. Um, and again, you don't know when Severino's coming back. You don't know when CeCe Sabathia's coming back. And as we've seen last season, especially last season, that's a prime example, the Boston Red Sox started 18-2 last season. They never relinquished the lead. That's why the beginning of the season and the end of the season matters so much in baseball because if you jump out to a hot start and a lead, you could really take your division by storm and storm. you may not relinquish it. And that's what I was right. hoping for the New York Yankees, but that doesn't yeah, seem to be happening.
2: That seems to only fall true in like the East, though.
0: Yeah, uh, you know you what? Know I mean? what? You could, 100%. 100%. You know, but, you know, hopefully Torres, listen,
2: Torres plays a decent shortstop.
0: Well, he he came up as a shortstop. They moved right. him right. around. They came up as a shortstop.
2: Right. He plays a decent shortstop. If he keeps on hitting like the way he's hitting like today, today he killed it. Oh yeah. If he if he stays consistent, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough not having Didi, of course, but I mean, if he could if he could hold it down to the All Star break, he'll be in great shape.
0: Listen, it's absolutely. Three for three today. Four RBIs. Three thirty three average. Three fifty seven on base percentage. Yeah. It, Gleyber right Torres, right to me, even last year, I said this: this guy should have been the leadoff hitter for the Yankees because I'm getting sick and tired of Brett Gardner seeing him flail his garbage, disgusting swing on off seat yeah. on speed pitches.
2: When, when, he, when he chases an outside pitch, it's he disgusting. To Over this year,
1: well, 57. Do it right away. Method now, it's not as much with uh, the fastest guy always has to hit leadoff. It is to-
2: Who, who's stealing 50 bases anymore? Nobody. Right.
1: Right, because the the analytic method doesn't have stolen bases in account because or bunting because you don't want to waste outs so or bunting. You still see teams to an extent have their fast years ago when you saw guys like going back like when the pirates were good for a while. John Jaso was hitting leadoff. like John Jaso used to catch. Like, they don't really care right. about that as much. So if Glaber can get because we know he has the raw speed, if Glaber can get up to maybe at least like a three twenty or something on base percentage. For a consistent amount of time. Because obviously stats at this point can fluctuate so much. If That's where I think you could see him be
0: more consistent leadoff hitter. But I think by the time that ends up happening. Aaron, key guy playing a key position for the New York Yankees in center field. But let me ask you this Frank. From the eye test right now. You're not a little concerned. Even though it's only seven games. You're not a little concerned with the way they're playing. And the way they're hitting. Because let's be real here. Baltimore Orioles is a team that's not picked to win more than 65 games. Detroit Tigers are a team that's not picked to win team three in the first. Make
2: productive outs. Right. Now you can't. For today,
0: they short out the baseball, right? And you want to know what? New York Yankees, because he's acting out as much as the New York Yankees. 11 injuries that the uh, New York Yankees. Yeah. I thought with with all these injuries, I thought the uh, New York, I'm not even going to say it, the garbage from Queens. uh Trainers oh, and the oh, oh, oh. and that's, the doctors. That's what, that's what he calls them. And the you doctors were were working for the New York Yankees. But it, it, it's unbelievable how many injuries this team has. I've never seen a team with this kind of luck, like this. It's unbelievable. They have no now luck whatsoever. Now you know whatsoever. how it feels to be a Mets fan. they just, just what? Listen,
2: they're all soft. It's just modern day baseball.
0: Oh well, yeah. You don't got to tell you know, me. You know, Everybody's soft for every a hangnail. Yeah, they 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 go on a disabled list. Uh, tw- uh, 21 day disabled list for uh, a hangnail that they just can't get off their finger. Like, of course, yeah. Listen, yeah. I get that. I bet you if it was a playoff time, Stanton would be playing right now. Not even a question. Not even a question. I I, I will yeah. say this though. You're Sever- better off with your oh, stop it, Severino, Aaron Hicks, uh, C. C. obviously because he had surgery. Um, Batansis. Would all be and Glaber and Miguel Andahar would and Didi Gregorius six out of the eleven right now. And I could be missing some. Would all be would all be out of the lineup right now if the playoffs would start? I bet you a couple others would be in the lineup like oh, Troy Tulawitsky and John Carlos Stanton. When it's all said and done, I feel like those guys, if it pushed came to shove, they would be playing right now if this was the playoffs. And you know
2: what? I'm surprised that the Yankees didn't go after a catcher. And put Sanchez in the DH spot or do something.
0: They they to be honest with you, they sure. like his arm. That's probably yeah, why the they didn't do anything.
2: Has a great arm, but he's just, he's he has totally
0: a rocket easy. of an arm. Did you he picked yeah. off I almost two guys? He picked off one guy today. He almost picked off two guys today, uh, for them for the New York Yankees. Uh but you have to be happy with Gary Sanchez right now because to be honest with you, when did you see a pass ball in seven games? You haven't. Gary Sanchez yeah, hasn't I, given I, up I, a pass ball one, yet. I think I saw one uh, one error. What, but no, listen. He has two errors throwing the ball, three errors throwing the ball. But that's not the problem because one of them hit the guy in the foot. Okay, the other one was in Glaber Torres' glove and like fell out, and he apparently got the uh, error for. And then yesterday he he got an error for a bad throw. So I think he has three throwing errors. Which you know what? I'm He's gonna take trouble. that. I'm gonna take that with a grain of salt because that could easily be fixed, just like blocking the ball. And to be honest with you. We haven't seen pass balls from Gary Sanchez, so I'm happy right now. Right. I'm very happy. Right. And he's hitting.
2: Hey, six games
0: in. Yeah, yeah, well, seven games. But he's hitting two, which is remarkable because last year he batted 180. Yeah. <laughs> so he's already yes. has two home runs. He is already batting over 250 right now. So I'm going to take Gary Sanchez right now with what it is. I always said for the past two years um, that I think that Gary Sanchez was our best pure hitter. Obviously, it's not looking like that. But I thought he was our best pure hitter going forward. I, yeah. I, I I hope I hope eventually he comes around and he shows what he's capable of. But that that's just how I feel about Gary Sanchez.
2: Hey, hey before I go, because I got to bring the little man to karate, can we just talk about my Mets for like a minute. I don't I don't
0: I don't know that team. I do know the garbage from Queens. <laughs> I know that you believe this? So that's right. what he calls them. Speed Speedy's a garbage from Queens fans too. I do what what is there to talk about the garbage from Queens for? This is April. They're World Series champions after April. The Met oh God, the garbage from Queens season. <laughs> Does not yes. start uh, until the first injury. Got him again. <laughs> when I get heated is when I say yep. it. When, when I get really fired up, their season doesn't start until the first injury. So when the first injury occurs in the season, that's when the garbage from Queen oh, Season will God. start. Yeah, yeah.
1: You wonder how it feels now. <laughs> I have eleven injuries all at once. It's awful. Yeah, you know it was a good game today.
2: It was what one nothing
0: for a while, and then and, uh, actually, and both teams were throwing a no hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
2: no, he, he the, um, Strasburg had a one hitter. And we were still losing with the
0: no hitter, and then they won four nothing. Yeah, and then they scored in like the eighth. But that's the bullpen at, at that standpoint. But again, you first of all, let me just tell you, I think Jacob DeGrom is unbelievable. I've always yep. thought he's unbelievable. Um, I, I, I think there's been rumors about you guys possibly going after Dallas Keuchel. I think he would be a great pickup for your that's, team. I think he would that's be. What I heard
2: that there's. They're still in
0: contact with him. I think that would be a great pickup because I look at it like this. He's a lefty. Um uh Shea it's not even Shea Stadium anymore, City right? City field is now is one of the biggest parks in major league baseball. So mm-hmm, and yeah. it's tough it's to brother. hit a home run there. So this will be a good park for him to pitch at, number one. If you look at that rotation, if you go Jacob deGrom won righty. Ah, uh, Dallas Keuchel two lefty, Noah Syndergaard three righty, Steven Matz four lefty, and Wheeler five righty. Like you could mix and match depending on the matchups on what you want to do. Like, it, yeah. it, I I think Dallas Keuchel would would change that team for the better. If yeah. you want me to be honest with you, but you guys are playing great baseball. We I've always said that on paper you guys are very very good, but you, now you have to keep in mind your not your National League East division. Might really be one of the strongest divisions. Actually, it is one of the strongest divisions in baseball, if not the strongest division mm, I in think baseball. The NL group.
1: Central's a little better, but yeah, maybe.
0: But you know what I'm getting at, though. Right. Like, yeah, it's uh, very improved. The yeah. Phillies, the Braves, and the Nationals—like those three teams—really do take the cake. But again, what the what the what the garbage from Queens did in the beginning of the season, taking two or three in Washington, was good. Sweeping the Miami Marlins, who I think are better than the garbage from Queens, anyway. Oh, God, wow. I, I, I mean, it's it, it's it's a oh, good look I thought they for were them. supposed to win one. Yeah, well, thank God, I did, thank God I didn't bet you. Thank God I didn't bet. But you what guys, ha- you guys have to be happy. But again, keep in mind it's April. Right. It's listen, April. Listen, but the Marlins were supposed, supposed to win one. I thought they were supposed
2: to win I'm, two out of three, you, according you, to you. You got, you got lucky. <laughs> Man, oh, okay. I was, I was really, I was really worried about.
0: Well, you should be because he still has to play 100 and something games in the field with no DH, which he hasn't done in yeah, his entire career. And can that, he stay that's,
2: healthy? That's going to be the tough spot right there. I uh, think absolutely. So. Hopefully Conforto, listen, if Conforto stays healthy, he stays healthy, um, I, I think, and in, in the pitching staff holds somewhat together, I, right. I think. I I would love to see another repeat of 2,000, another Subway Series.
0: Why would you want to see that? Because if if that's the case, that means the New York Yankees are really healthy, and they will absolutely demolish the garbage from Queens in the World Series. Demolish. Listen,
2: I have no worries. you keep on striking out 18 times again. (laughs) With that pitching staff, staff, it, it can happen again.
0: Well, you, you want to know what? It would probably be the most boring series ever because your team doesn't <laughs> score runs and the Yankees strike out every play. It, it, it Honestly, we would probably see the quickest uh, quickest games in uh, World Series history if that was the case. Right. In, in length. There'll
2: be, soft,
0: be softball games. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, because some of those would go long. But th- this... These games would probably go an hour and 45 minutes, two hours and 15 minutes because of how many strikeouts yeah. you'll see, and the garbage from Queens can't score runs. Well, the so. Yankees
1: would probably win that just because wow. Jury's Familias playoff history.
0: <laughs> All we have to do is to get to your bullpen, and then you're yes, in trouble.
1: Just get to Jury's familiar. You're probably fine knowing how he is in the playoffs. Any
0: bullpen, any any player in the bullpen besides your closer, Edwin Diaz or whoever it is, then we're we going
2: you pick
0: up, like, Travis Darnot. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> That's exactly who I want. <laughs> Travis Darnell is someone I want. No, you know what? Let, let, you can have him. Let, let's just go get the Dark Knight again. Let's go get the Dark Knight for the New oh, York Oh, I'd
1: love to see the, the uh, Nets tee
0: off on him in the playoffs. It would be unbelievable oh. to see that. But, Frank, thanks for calling, bro. I appreciate it. All right. Take be good. Take
2: care. Enjoy the rest of your show, and you guys have a great weekend,
0: all right? You too, pal. Good I'll too. talk to you later. All right. Well, then. That was Frank from Connecticut. He's a friend of mine. He's an avid listener. But again, he's from Connecticut. I, I enjoyed his input on my Yankees and making fun of yours and his, Speedy, uh, garbage from Queens because they are. They'll always be the little brother to the New York Yankees. Hey. They have less injuries right now. <laughs> Touche. You're 100% right. 100% <laughs> right. Can't say anything. How does it feel? But, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for our show here at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will be back on Monday to preview the national championship. Um, wow. That guy just got taken out. Did he get his leg broken? That's all we need. Another injury. Another injury. Coming for the New York. He Yankees. slid into the bag there, too. No, I didn't yeah, see Yeah, He was on top of the bag. No, he was on top of the bag. Um. But we will be back on Monday. We're going to have a big preview of the national championship, and I'm sure there's going to be other stories throughout the weekend that I'm going to have to touch base upon. But that is it for our show here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
2: You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.